Told you I do this shit for Vegas. About to shut the world down. World domination. World ain't ready for the town. We are in abomination. What's going on, everybody? We are back at it again with the High Buttenders podcast. It is me, Gerald, and you know I got my road dog, Rocky. What's going on with you? Well, you know, we always have a behind the scenes, right? This had to start at some point. So we were having a conversation prior to how hot it was in Vegas. But um, traffic's starting to slow down a little bit, too. It looks like uh, the economy is starting to put a trudge on everybody right now. So that being the case, it hasn't been too busy. But um, it doesn't mean we can't have interesting days and interesting guests on the show. And we certainly do today. I'm so pleased to introduce uh, Charlena Berry, the author of Breaking the Stigma. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So we met you at G4 Live. And immediately, I was like, oh my gosh, the minute you left the booth, it was a whole conversation behind your back about how we have to make sure she gets on the podcast. So we are super excited that you reached out to us. Oh, I'm so uh, I'm so honored and, and flattered by that. I mean, like I I since meeting you guys there, I've listened to a couple of your episodes, and I feel like our um, you know, and, and Rocky, I'm I'm following you on uh, Instagram now, and it's like I feel like we agree on a lot of the same principles and so I'm definitely super excited to be here chatting with you guys today that's so amazing thank you for thank you for being on um like I started reading your book a couple of a um, couple of months ago and um one of the things that stuck out to me is like um you said like uh one of the ways we break the stigma is through the customer experience and like the retail business um like what are your thoughts on that and how do we do that so, you know, I live in Florida, which is a super medical only state. Um, and it's still very, you know, cannabis in Florida. You've got all the people that are on board and then, but it's medical and it costs hundreds of dollars to, to get a card, right? And to get a medical card to be able to walk into a dispensary, right? And then you've got a group of people that when they go to like Vegas, they're like, the first thing they're going to do is stop at a rec shop. Right. But the same people that potentially could benefit from cannabis are kind of afraid still to walk into some of the rec shops. And so when I think about breaking the stigma, I heard a stat recently that only 14% of the population um, uses cannabis. Um, and to me, that tells me there's still 86% left that we could potentially go after and turn to users. And I believe that the world would be a better place if there was more people that were uh, that were getting high. Um, and so uh, the idea is that, you know, how do we create an experience that opens the eyes to that other, um, you know, 80 some odd percent? And how do we do that? It, it's through an inviting customer experience you know, those getting those people in the door for the first time is going to make or break them. They're either going to leave and say, this is cool and I'm coming back or yeah, I'm not sure because they didn't feel that they got all their questions answered. The bud tender didn't give them a warm reception. They didn't feel, you know, I think that building trust with the bud tender is super important. Um, 
because they have questions, right? They're looking for answers. And, and so I think that, you know, the customer experience is not just the bud tender, but it's, it's everything about, you know, before they walk in, when they walk in, how they pick their products, what that looks like, and then, you know, what happens when they leave and whether or not they get a satisfying customer experience. Let me ask you this. Do you think that, I mean, do you have any, um, uh, let me, how do I put this? I should have phrased this a little bit better. Um, In the customer experience, do you find that it's advantageous to have some retail background, despite the fact that you have to know so many things in cannabis? I think in like traditional retail places, they teach sales models, right? And it's not necessarily a sales, but rather a service model. And I think that if you've been at a Claire's or if you've been at a Best Buy or if you've been at a Macy's and spent any length of time going through a like a customer experience process that that definitely gives room for you to have a a foundation to transition to cannabis retail, but you have to add the cannabis knowledge to it, right? Like it, cause it can't be by itself. You can't come from Best Buy to weed right. without knowing about the product. But if you take the skills that you learn, you know, cause when you go to Best Buy to shop for a computer, if we give that example, you know, that attendant is there to ask you all the questions to make sure you get the right computer. It's the same thing with cannabis. It's that your bud tender's there for you to ask all those questions to get the right product. And so if you have the skills from a prior retail, that's definitely a good springboard, but you still have to have the product education. Yeah, what I find is that um, people that don't have prior retail experience can't build an experience for customers that come into the dispensary, right? Because it's super technical. And then sometimes that's overwhelming to the patient when they come in um, that's looking for cannabis. I keep saying patient because that's who we help, but um, the customers that come in to actually purchase cannabis, they, uh, they're super overwhelmed. So mm-hmm. it's either you have that fine finesse of retail where you can really sell it and then kind of educate yourself. I don't know how those two marry like separately, but I just found that it was so super difficult to get into the cannabis industry, one, and then two, because I was in retail and I didn't have any cannabis experience. But I think that people that are in retail, that's their job, right? I think if you're in retail, you know you have to learn everything there is to know to sell a product, um, except you have to take it to the next level because now it's cannabis. So you're actually helping people medicinally. What retail rate training did you have? Just oh, curiosity. I'm a, I'm gonna make scary time stories right now. Uh, I worked for Target and I worked okay. for um, Barnes and Noble for a while, and then the tuxedo industry for about six years. So you had a lot of retail to build upon. So when you entered cannabis, that's why you went from you know just kind of skyrocketed in what you do because you had that background. Right. Mm-hmm. Plus, I smoked cannabis forever. So I kind of had an idea of the effects and what it was like when I first smoked, you know? So I was like, I think I could do this. But, you know, you really don't know until you open those doors. 
how big of a field of ca it, it, cannabis can be. Like you have to learn so many things and mm -hmm. educate the customer. It's not just one note. Well, and now with all the product innovations too, right? So, you know, I, East Coast, I don't feel has the product in innovation, but here on the West Coast, you know, you start introducing dabs and tinctures and beverages and, you know, terpene profiles and it's all the right way to go but it, you have to keep on point with your product education to keep on point with your customer education right like it's forever like you know oh new product you know right, right. that's why they should pay us more than just retail uh we're not we're not cashiers you know what i mean you have to know a lot to work in the cannabis industry so 14 dollars an hour these days does not pay the bills or not at all <laughs> in the least bit yeah well, that's, that's a, go ahead I'm sorry that's a bummer is there tips or is two or no and in some places their tips um some places like they pull their tips and everybody have to share some places you get to keep them um it just depends on the company you work for yep I think there should be tips yeah, and, for and sure. share, I, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, if if it's fourteen bucks an hour and no tips, that's just wrong. Yeah, like, wrong. Even I mean, right now I feel like we're starting to feel that pain a little bit because it's not as busy, uh, due to all the skyrocketing prices in other avenues of retail. Uh, so it's just it's it's tough. The natural resources are costing us more than anything else. You know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. it's been a real tough transition and. So for cannabis, that's what it's, it's like cannabis in Vegas, people come here, it goes hand in hand, people come here to have a good time. And so when you feel the burn, it kind of hurts because you don't get tipped as much, yeah. you know what I mean? But even still, I feel like um, at $14 an hour, you still don't get tipped like a bartender, you know what I mean? Bartenders yeah. get paid much more tip wise than we do. We didn't know we don't get anywhere near like a 20% tip on a tab or something like that. You know what I mean? But then again, too, we're not saying to somebody, hey, what's that gin and tonic gonna make me feel like? You know right. what I mean? So it's it's or, just, uh, my shoulder's hurting. Can you can you fix me a drink for that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Maybe one day people recognize, you know, the, the good work that we do. Yes. I think some of it, because I know it's not tipping's not standard. I guess I just don't see why like a location would not incorporate it in, you yeah. know, to make it a part of the experience, you know, I, I mean, and at least here in California, I think I can't remember anywhere that I've been where it's not standard here, but I haven't been everywhere here, obviously. Yeah. I mean, a lot of places pay higher to not, for not paying out the tips, right? So you don't collect tips, but you're getting paid like $18 an hour as opposed to 14 or something like that so it's a scale but um I too was reading your book and you have a bunch of different avenues that this branches out into which I thought was phenomenal because there was the aspect of retail but you know there was also very various other aspects of that book what experiences do you base this upon so just a little background on the book so the book was published um, on the one year anniversary to um, the date of my late brother's death. And I, I always struggle to say it. And 
I discovered cannabis and its power when my brother was an opiate addict and he got it through a cancer patient. And back in the early 2000s, they would send my stepdad home with pill bottles with 120 pills in it of Oxycontins. And so he was 14 years old when he became a drug addict and he suffered with his addiction for his entire life. When he died of uh, fentanyl poisoning, uh, he was 90 days clean and sober and went to an AA meeting and was given uh, a, a volume with fentanyl in it. And it wasn't an oxy and it wasn't alcohol, the two things that he was addicted to. And uh, he went to sleep and didn't wake up. Before he died, I was writing the book and I had told him that I'm writing the book for him because I remember the moment when I realized that if he had been, if my stepdad had been given a pack of joints, that my brother never would have been an addict. So as I worked to unravel these things of like, how did this happen? Right? Like, like, it, you know, you, you discover that Purdue Pharma did this intentionally, right? Like this wasn't, yeah. the opiate crisis wasn't an accident, right? Like it was intentional. And so then there's the anger associated with that. Well, then it was like, well, why didn't my stepdad get joints, right? So then I unraveled this history that, you know, when you're long enough in the industry, you finally figure out and it's, oh, because Harry Anslinger, this evil man in the 1930s, needed to keep his job because prohibition had ended. He decided to demonize people of color, black, brown, Latin, and Chinese people, picking marijuana as the name to call it because of the Latin associated, you know, things associated with it. And he waged literally a public campaign to associate marijuana with criminals, particularly targeting people of color. And so Nick, go along, Nixon campaign, they did the same thing, right? Like, and it's been not just used as it, you know, hey, prohibition, it's very specifically been used as a tool to create criminals in communities that are not white, right? Right. Very, very, very specifically. And so once my my brother died, I was I was furious, you know, like I he was clean and sober. And I remember just yelling like like because the book went from just something I was doing to a public mission. And I remember I was like, it's in, you know, and this is a, a, the person who wrote that book had a lot of rage, even though it, I don't know that the rage comes in the off, but you know, I've calmed down a lot since then, but I remember walking around talking and I'm like, it was a lie. Schedule one status is a lie. Marijuana is illegal because of lies freaking opiates are legal because of lies. And I was so furious about this social impact of these things that I literally had to get it out of me to feel peace. Um, because when I re put all those pieces and parts together, I was mortified. Like, you know, like, you know, and Purdue Pharma is a extraordinarily rich white 
wealthy family, right? They put heroin in a fucking pill and distribute it in massive quantities to addict an entire nation and paid the fees like just toll fees. Yeah. Right? Like only disproportionate wealth and status could pull something like that off. And so that, you know, in writing, you know, it started as just a book about retail and then I lost my brother and then it was this anger and I've got to dump it out and people need to know and, you know, fighting with family and friends and like, you know, and, and it, and I would say stuff like crazy. There would be like racism till my brother argue with me about it, you know, and it felt so, it, it even now feels so relevant given BLM, given the, the continued status of the opiate crisis, you know, I, in some of my research and I haven't gotten to pursue it, you know, Harry Anslinger was in charge of the FBN, Federal Bureau of Narcotics until yeah. the 60s. They were the model. I have to believe he shaped policies around police brutality and right like and he was known as a crazy racist and so to me as much as all these concepts seem crazy to tie together when I woke up last year all of it made sense and it was like and people need to know that they're all related that none of these things are different you know they're they're all tied together in some way shape and form yeah and that's how it's always been I mean, if I could speak on Purdue Pharma, it's, it's it, the uh, opioid crisis is all about money. Mm-hmm. Um, that family was all about money and just putting people's lives at risk. People selling those drugs for the companies were getting massive kickbacks um, mm-hmm. to sell more. And then it was like, hey, we're making even bigger. We're going to make that drug even bigger. And we're going to do 800 milligrams. I'm going to do 12. And it was just ridiculous. And it got way out of hand and out of control. And that's how this opioid crisis began, right? So we, when we try to peel back the layers and things happen to people and people die, what does the government give back to you? A bunch of excuses and lies, pages and books, you know, of lies. And in the end, it's like, you know what? It's real plain and simple. Uh, pe- people wanted to make a whole lot of money. So they made an incredibly strong drug that the body cannot handle, period. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then lied about it. Yes. You know, because for years at the time that my stepdad was given the oxys, they were, he was told, it was right in the beginning, he was told they were safe and non-addictive, right? You know, safe and non-addictive, safe and non-addictive. So not only was it greed, it was greed, then lies, you know, oh, you're fine. Yeah. Governmental gaslighting. Yes. Yes. One of the most egregious things is like, they were, they were, they were telling doctors like it was okay to prescribe for like, like the littlest things like headaches or toothaches and things like that. So they were giving it to people who didn't even need it. Um, And it's just, that's, yeah, that's just sickening to even think about. And I, what bothers me is they still do. Um, just as an example, about three months ago, my girlfriend called me in a panic and she says, Hey, my son, he's 16. He just had surgery. They sent my son home with, with, I think they're called Percocets now. I don't even know. They changed the name of them, but it's still opiate based. And she's like, do I give it to him? 
I said, absolutely not. You yeah. do not give a 16 year old child, you know, and she said, what do I do? And she lives in, and that's, what's crazy. Cause she lives in Michigan, right. Where rec pots legal, go get them an edible. Like, <laughs> like awesome. give them ibuprofen and give them an edible. And it sounds you know, there's, I think the next wave that I hope is that there's this parenting migration to say, yeah, it's okay to give your kid an edible. And it sounds crazy right now, but like my daughter is 14 and our house is a narcotic free household. Convince me why, you know, and my daughter would never fight with me on that. Right. But we keep topical on the counter. She's never had an injury that requires an edible, but you better believe I'm getting her edibles before she's eating Percocets. Right. Exactly. Yes. I mean, um, when I was a kid, when I was, well, not a kid, but I was, when I was a teenager, I was given Ritalin. um, And there were other pills that just as an adult, when you get older, that if you just miss that pill, you're completely shattered, falling apart as a person. It's just, that kind of reaction shouldn't be happening over missing a pill for a day or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy to me. Um, my brother living in Chicago used to tell me all the time, hey, you know, people pay me a lot of money for these things. You know, um, this was back in the day. This is far a long time ago. But he would be like, yeah, there's this new drug out there. Oxyboy, they're just going ham with it. And he's and I, you know thinking about it, talking about it, hindsight being what it is, it is crazy to me what I saw with my own eyes. You know what I mean? Where somebody Mm -hmm. takes a pill and they're scratching it off to break the time release on it so that they could actually take it and get the full effects of that pill. I mean, that's, that's an addiction. When you're doing that stuff, that's no longer medication for you. You need yep. that if you need to make it quicker, if you need more of it, you know what I mean? And that's what it was. It's just, and things like this continue to be on the market. It's not any different. It's still there. Well, I, to me, so what I've seen in the shift in like the last three or four years is that, yes, they've cracked down on the medical distribution, right? Our lovely friends in the black market just went and filled that right up yeah. with fentanyl. Um, you know, and so now that we don't have medical grade pills on the street, it is manufactured in a chemist's household. And if you listen to the reporting on overdose deaths, you'll hear that it's at an all-time high and they'll say it's despair deaths. It's related to the pandemic because people are sad. That's a lie. Just straight up, that's a, that's a lie. And after my brother died, I tried to go to the news and be like, listen, it's a fact. My brother's death is not a despair death. Won't even talk to me about it. Um, September, the FDA finally put out the one pill can kill campaign to kind of raise alarms. However, it's still not, it bugs me because like I can get in my car and hear a radio infomercial that um smoking will kill me right I can't get in my car and hear a warning that there's deadly fake pills on the street and be aware right like there's no there's no 
it, you know, fentanyl deaths are the leading cause of deaths for 18 to 45 year olds right now. And there's no awareness on it um, until you are one of the fortunate few that, you know, that somebody does, doesn't wake up and depending on their addiction level, they care or they don't. In my case, because my brother was prior previously an addict, it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I don't know, like it, it, it's scary to me. Yeah, that's, it's, and it's just, it's because it, it's overwhelming and it's so much of it. You know what I mean? It's not scaled back by any means. And the problem with that is, is that because that stigma lies there with cannabis and other natural uh, psychedelics, you know what I mean? Psilocybin, yep. whatever, because there's that stigma and we've built that over the years, people automatically are like, no, I'll take this addictive pill instead because my doctor told me I should take it. So why would you listen to me by any means? I am not a doctor, right? That's, yep. you know, it is what it is, but I know that I take something that's not truly not addictive every day. And I don't have to take, you know, medication for ADHD. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, and those, that medication is aggressive medication. Regardless and you're not of, scratching at your skin it, to get it open faster. You're not, you you live a good productive life, yes. right? You're a nice person. You're probably not violent, right? Like some of all the bad behaviors that come with everything else. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I sank into a really deep depression on Prozac and, you know, I just, I talk about that all the time. The minute you missed a pill, you were like, I just don't want to live anymore. To feel wow. that way is really messy, Right. And then it's, there's, here, here, you know what, why don't you just continue smoking the cannabis that you love so much and stop listening to everybody else? And who yep. cares if you show up to the party at your mom's house smelling like fucking burnt flour? I don't give a shit. At this point, it's just where it has to be in life, you know? Mm -hmm. So I am, I am so glad that you wrote that book because I feel like there's so many people that are dealing with mental illness and um, because of opioid addiction, like almost like one thing is leading to another these days and watching TV isn't fun anymore because every time the news comes on, it's something really horrible, horrible, <laughs> right? So you're like, Hey man, I just wish that we could, but again, it's like, who's going to regulate this situation? Right. When we have to break the stigma that's like you said, embedded in like it's woven into the fabric of our society that this is something that we're not supposed to be doing, that it's bad, it's illegal, you know what I mean? So that because mm -hmm. it's money fueled, right? In the end, it has to be. You can't tell me anything different. I don't yep. know if you feel the same, but I just feel like all of this addiction, um, a lot of the wars, everything has to deal with money and how we're going to attain it and what are we going to do to you know save the world because we need all this money and in the interim everything's on fire in the background right i feel the same way I, you know in the i think because i i haven't followed the news 
in about a year because I can't watch it anymore. Like I just stopped watching. Like I, I, I briefly saw something today about immigrants in a trailer. Oh my God, yeah, crazy. It's terrible. Evaldi, I can't watch. Nothing. Ukraine, I like. I can't deal emotionally with any of it. But I do think it is all money fueled. You know, the even the pain ecosystem from oxys get you addicted, pay for the pills, wean you off, put you in rehab, right? Like, and it ends up like a life cycle of forever treatment for that patient. And I have to believe in my mind that that's all planned out too. Like, you know, cause then they introduced Oxycontin and Suboxone, or excuse me, Suboxone and Methadone. Oh, well, you don't need the pill anymore, but here, drink this. And, you know, and those were just as evil and I feel like I know too much about that world that like, I wish I didn't know. Like, I hate the fact that I know about that pain management world. And so the rest of it, like, I have to believe in my heart, you start scratching the surface at every single one of those. It's all money related, you know, and it's, it hurts me when I watch the news, knowing that there's a money motivation behind, unfortunately, behind all these horrific events that are happening yeah absolutely absolutely go ahead no just saying because like um that that ties in because like one of my like favorite quotes from your book is when you said uh we are more fulfilled and successful in business when we have a purpose deeper than money alone and i feel like that should be like a like a billboard in every single cannabis dispensary or anything (laughs) like you know business because i mean i just i feel like that's perfect like when it's more than when you're in it for more than the money you just you just get a better product it doesn't matter what it is right i feel that way and i appreciate you calling it out you know um i don't know that i could do what i do without the passionate love and desire to bring it like i'm i'm that much more fulfilled as a business person because i know that the work that i do helps people and doesn't hurt right like yeah. Right. Like when I write a book and somebody reads it and they decide to try marijuana, I'm excited. Like, please smoke. Yes. Who would have thought? Like after the Just Say No campaign, you know, like just me, I'm like, please give her a joint. Oh, what crossed that stupid ass campaign? Just say no to drugs. Nancy Reagan. Um, but yeah, I I, you know, I just wanted to say to. I think it's a super injustice and a super, you know, disservice. And it would, I didn't want the time to pass without saying that there are doctors walking around the face of this planet that owned pill mills and killed a bunch of people. And literally was like, we're just going to strip you of your license and good luck for the rest of your life. There are people in prison, sitting in prison right now for an ounce of cannabis and they'll be there for the rest of their lives. Let's chew on these situations, folks, when we think about, you know, how important it is to break the stigma, because this is just, this is absolutely ridiculous. We need more people showing up to court cases. We need people showing up to meetings for like cannabis compliance. We need to be like, if you're a smoker, get involved because it's not going to help you not to get involved. That's my personal opinion. And that's my two bits. So like, I never thought to myself, hey, write a, you know what I mean? Write a book. 
But man, when I read your book, I was like, when I started reading, I'm not finished yet. I still have three chapters. I'm not going to lie. But when I started reading it, I was like, yes, this is what people need to see, plain and simple. It's not that difficult, folks. It's not hard to understand how these are, how these things relate to each other. And I think it's really great for bud tenders too. So if you're a bud tender out there and you're listening to the podcast, read this book because man, if you just understand how um, learning to help customers with great customer service, it's okay to read customer service books and get to learn how to do it. Because when you know about the cannabis, you already have the key, right? So yes. it's just the little smart, the small things that can make you really good at your job and help to service people, hopefully bring newbies on board and so that they can enjoy and understand what that healing process is all about with cannabis and, you know, break the stigma. Man, I, I can't say it even further, but like that's so important that we as bud tenders do our best to leave something in the mind of our customer before they leave the store that says, hey, um, what you're doing is just fine. Go have fun. Enjoy yourself. And I, to me, the most important person in the industry to break the stigma is the bud tender. They're the most, you know, the, the cultivator is important. Your manufacturer is important. Your transporter is important. Like everybody's got a key role in the industry to make it work, right? Like, thank you for product innovations from cultivation and manufacturing. Thank you for phenotype hunting. Thank you for those things. Bud tenders, to me, is the most important job because it's one bud tender with one newbie at a time that tears the walls down. It, and that's the only way it's going to happen. One bud tender with one newbie at a time. And that's the person that is quite literally on the front lines of the industry driving our movement forward. And if you're in the industry, you have to become an advocate. You can't sit on the sidelines. I was never political before. Like, I mean, I had my beliefs, right? Like, you know, I believe in this, I believe in that, I vote, right? I've always done my part. This is the first time that I've ever felt so mortified by schedule one, like schedule one status. I'm infuriated that it's schedule one, yeah. right? Like it is stupid. The fact that like, it is stupid. It is a lie, right? But if you're in the industry, you have to become an advocate. You got to sign the petitions. You got to show up. You got to send your comments in. You have to participate in the political system to continue to break down walls and barriers. And, you know, all those people sitting in jail for cannabis crimes. It's crazy, right? Like, it, and if you compare them to the doctors that created pill mills that just got a, their license stripped of them, they were legal drug dealers. Yes. Right? Yes. They were legal drug dealers. And, you know, so what if they had a freaking ounce on them? You know, like, I mean, and it's almost like, like a roll your eyes stupid at the point that like, I can't believe we're still talking about those people being in jail. Let them out. Right. <laughs> can't we just agree that it's not yep. that bad? What are they going to do? You know? Uh, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yes, it's a heartbreaking it conversation um, that needs to be had um, as as much and as often as possible. So I hate getting on my soapbox. And I know Jarrell, 
you do it too sometimes too as well where you're like you don't even notice like, yeah, I'm educated. <laughs> it needs to now. be done. Yeah. <laughs> because it's it important. Be it's important yep. and it's important to reinforce that it's okay, right? It's okay mm-hmm. to do it. Don't worry. It's not addictive. You know what I mean? And really, we're not pushing it on anybody. Um, that's the whole thing is like when people come in, I always try to do the safest thing possible for them, especially yeah. if they're new customers and they've never tried cannabis before. I make it so they can't fail. And I feel like as bud tenders, it's our due diligence. I know, hang in there, things will change. I have a feeling. But in order for you to see change, just like Charlena said, you have to be more active in your industry and in your cannabis community. Uh, Because guess what? If you have a legal state, there is one. It's there. You just got to find it, right? And it's not that hard. Believe me when I tell you, uh, you'll find it a lot faster uh, than you think when you actually apply a little bit of action to that. So yeah. do it. Yeah. I think one of the, um, if I'm not mistaken, you, you're not a cannabis consumer. Is that right? I'm not. You see, and that's, that makes it even more like great because you're going so hard. <laughs> like, I love it. You know, <laughs> I'm waiting for the bud tender that can get me high and not paranoid. That's what I'm waiting for. So, like, um, when you, when you I come to they, Vegas, you have to come see me or Rocky. Okay. Um, <laughs> I get scared when I smoke or vape. I, I keep trying, right? Like, so you got to give me credit. Um, I keep topical at home for, for aches and pains. But for the most part, I function very well um, without, you know, I tried last, last year when I was really struggling with my brother's death, I tried gummies at night. And even though I relaxed, what turns on for me is this, the paranoia. And I, someday I believe that somebody will find me something and by then I'll need it and, you know, I'll be okay. Um, but I do believe in it that much that even though I'm not a regular daily user, uh, I push it on everybody I absolutely can. Um, The jars are topical. I make them to give them away um, because I'm in Florida. And, you know, in particular, I have old people in Florida that they're not going to go spend $300 for topical. And I'm like, please use this. Please try this. I just gave my aunt. um, She's in North Carolina. So she has zero access and she's got massive anxiety and she's actually about to withdraw from some things. And I gave her a Delta 8 pen so that she has something that she could at least attempt to order online because explaining to my elderly aunt how to go buy a black market weed. Right? And so and she takes a hit off the Delta 8. And I know it's not the same as what everybody else has, but she's like, I feel a little relief already. And so then she's hitting it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I and it's silly, but I, I I carry stuff in my purse to give it to people to just try because I believe in it that much. Like, here you go, Andy. Smoke this Delta 8 and I'll go buy another one and stick it in my purse so that I could give it to somebody else that's, you know. Yep. My wife doesn't smoke either, but she's one of the best advocates um, on earth. You know, she'll do a comp. She'll do an edible here and there, but it's still less than five milligrams. So... Um, but she really like, she advocates for it because she knows what it does for me. You know, Mm -hmm. she knows how 
it elevates my mood and it, you know, it keeps me going. It's, it's just a wonderful plant in my life. And we have so many different things in my house with cannabis in it, topicals, all kinds of things that uh, she could use that you don't have to like smoke or whatever. So I think that it's great that there are people out there like you because it keeps the uh, cannabis industry pumping and it keeps it flowing that people actually give, you know, that actually care. You know, there are a lot of people that don't smoke cannabis that could, and are in this industry that could absolutely give a shit about anything but the money. So I appreciate that, you know, you're, that we have people like you out there that are doing, I would say, the closest thing to the Lord's work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> yes. We, we appreciate you and um, we love everything you're about and everything that you're doing. So absolutely, we, we, we appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. And I take, I appreciate you guys taking the time to get in my head a little bit. You know, um, I know it's a big ask to say, Hey, will you read my book? And so, you know, like I, I am deeply appreciate anybody who takes the time to get in my head and read the pages on it because it came from a place that with love and with tears and anger and fear. And, you know, and I hope that it can be part of, you know, everybody's got their place in, in advocacy and, you know, I'm a writer, so that's what I do. And if, you know, um, if it inspires just a handful of people to do better then I've done my job, you know? Hey, Charlena, would you like to do like a live book club type thing where we could talk about this book a little bit further, maybe on Instagram live? Cause I, I would, would honestly, if you're open to it, I would love to. My favorite part is when somebody's read it because there's people that have gotten it and haven't read it. But when somebody can tell me something from it and relate to it, that's what makes me excited, you know? And so if you think that your audience would have an interest in it, like I'll, I'll provide free copies to 10 people just, you know, um, to, to put it out there in the world, because, you know, I think it would be fun and I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I think I have the ebook, you don't write a book to make money. I mean, I got the ebook set at 99 cents because it's the lowest price I can do on Amazon. And it's so that anybody who thinks I might be interested, they've got access to it. That's amazing. Did no you excuses. hear that, folks? So if you're out there and you're like, oh my God, 99 cents, you get this, a copy of the book yourself, please read it. Honestly, if you're on the fence about cannabis, I, if I'm right or wrong in saying this for all, I know, I, I know Charlene has already read plenty of that book, uh, but you and I, um, you, I, I think you would say that this is helpful, right? Or if you know somebody that's on the fence or some couple people, spend the 10, $12 and get like 10 copies and pass them out to those people um, and get them off that fence for sure. That's what I'm saying. We know that we can. Um, so Charlene, if anybody else wants to actually get a copy of that book, would Amazon be the best way to do that? hundred percent. Yep. Amazon's the best way to get a physical copy. Um, I just published the audio version in May. So if you're a listener, you can get a copy of the audio version. Um, and then the ebook is on eBay or not eBay. I'm sorry, on Amazon for 99 cents. So um, and then anybody who's listening, please reach out and contact me. Like, I love to talk to strangers about it. And so, you know, if you grab a copy and there's something that strikes you in it, 
you know, I'm very accessible. You just send me a message and I would love to chat with you. That is amazing. So we appreciate you. Um, definitely check out that book, folks. We are going to recap. And so now that you're listening to this episode, you know you're going to have to come back around full circle because we're going to have a book discussion. We're going to do it on Instagram Live. It's going to only give us 30 minutes, but we can regroup into a part one and two uh, back to back. So we're going to work on this because I think this is going to be so important. So definitely check out and look out for that for sure. Um, and uh, pretty soon we're going to be having a giveaway for this book as well. So that if you do uh, want to attain a copy, please, we're going to have that copy right in our giveaway. So also you get a chance and another shot to get that book physical copy. I wish it was a signed copy. Now I want my own signed copy. I'll send you a copy. But I'll, give you, I'll, send, I'll send you a signed copy for the giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. Because 100%. now I, now I'm a huge fan. So just so you know, <laughs> uh, I'm a huge fan. I think you're an amazing person. Uh, we thank you folks for listening. Um, Bud tenders, if you're out there, thank you for everything that you do for the industry. I know that you don't hear it very often, but it's very important to know uh, that you, from exactly what Charlena says, you are an, you are like the crux of what's going on in this industry. So it's very, very important that uh, uh, let's pick up this book, read it, and let's discuss in what? honor of Charlena. We're going to actually cut the maybe cut this part out of the situation because we do a what you we do a what you smoking on segment. Um, and he just mentioned it now. And I was like, oh, shit. He's like, how do I bring that up? Because every show we do a what you smoking on segment. What was the last thing you smoked on? I drank um, lemonade. And I got, <laughs> <laughs> got high. And it was fun for a few minutes and until it wasn't fun. And I was with somebody who talks with their hands. And I'm high. And I'm like why are you talking with your hands? Can, will you sit on one? <laughs> no way. He's like, no. And he's still talking like this and like this. And I was like, well, can I sit on one? <laughs> and then I got scared and I was like, it was no fun anymore, but it was strawberry. It was a strawberry infused lemonade. Uh, nice. We're going to find something for you. Uh, I have been smoking on medicine uh, right now, to be very honest with you, I got a few strains, but I'm going to tell you there was a 34% mango kush that slapped me twice. Yeah. I think it said my name once too. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was really really great. I I highly recommend checking it out. What about you, Jerome? Same thing, medicine, uh, Hawaiian butterscotch. Awesome! Yeah. It's, it tastes so good. Always, always. We are at www.highbudtenders.com, folks. So if you want to listen to any more of the podcast, you can go to that address forward slash podcast to listen to the podcast forward slash shop to purchase any of our merchandise that we have on the website. Um, one last thing I want to say. I saw this the other day and I was on Glassdoor. $18 an hour is not what we pay growers in the cannabis industry it's a slap in the face. Stop doing that. So if you're out there and you own cultivations, don't do that. It's an insult. These people have to go to school just like, you know, just like everybody else to get an education. Or if they didn't, they work very hard to learn about this plant. That is an insult, a slap in the face. $12 an hour for a bud tender 
is I don't give a shit if they're making tips. It's not, it's not enough. So let's work on that a little bit, folks. And uh, let's be a little bit better about what we're putting out there in the atmosphere. I understand that dispensaries are having a hard time right now, but at the same time, let's just keep in mind that people have value. You know what I mean? And it's not just, uh, we're not just pawns in the game. You gotta do what's right for everybody in the industry. We thank you all for listening to the High Bud Tenders podcast. And as always, stay high, but tenders. Fuck it, make it, I'm saying. I said I love my city. But I don't think you hear me though. I said I love my city.